I'm probably not the oldest one here, but I am in my 70th year of life. And my oldest son is going to be 48. So that means many of you could be my sons or daughters or even my grandchildren. Some of you smaller ones, or maybe even great-grandchildren, I don't know. Depends on when you started. This morning, I, I had spent a, a number of years uh, really looking at reading over and over again and studying uh, Paul's epistles. And uh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Just can't help it. But uh, I remember it as, as a summer missionary speaking at church and I was started crying talking about the needs of the people around and and uh, I don't know why I do that sometimes but you know God is good and he has revealed himself so much about his faithfulness to us and how good he is and as I've gotten older and older I've come to identify more and more with Paul's statements where toward the end of his life he said, I am the chief of sinners. The more you learn about who God is and what he is doing for us and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us in my life at least, the more I have realized how much I have failed him yet how great and wonderful and amazing his grace and his mercy is Uh, this morning I'm going to encourage you to listen because I'm going to give a couple books away at the end of this and if you didn't listen or don't listen uh, you might not even have the opportunity to get those but I want to share that up front so you all are listening maybe taking notes and whatnot. one of the books uh, that Paul one of the letters that Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians has been one that has really spoken to me about God's grace about what the true gospel is and about the freedom that we have in Christ Merriam's Dictionary, and I think we have a, should have a slide here, defines freedom as the quality or state of being free, such as, oh, he's got it, good, such as the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in a choice or action, or liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of someone else, being exempted or released from something onerous. Freedom could be unrestricted use, just being frank and open, outspoken. Or even freedom can be defined as boldness. And a lot of talk today about our freedom, the political right that we have. It was kind of hard for me to come up with what exactly, how does the Bible define freedom? So, you know, like everything else, everything else, I Google it. (laughs) 
And I found this definition from the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. And they, they define biblical freedom in Christ as uh, saying that freedom is not autonomy. Biblical freedom, freedom in Christ, is not autonomy or doing what you feel like doing without any constraints. In fact, they define freedom as saying freedom is within the context of the law. We are not under the law or under uh, a requirement to be obedient to the law as a condition of our salvation, but that law gives us a moral compass. Uh, uh, Christ's commands give us a guide on how we should live and how we should love. And one of the things that I have found is that We are really only truly free. We are really only truly free when we know the truth about who we are and who God is. And that means throwing off the lies and the deceptions that we so often are held captive by. So this morning I want to talk about three things. You're writing this down. I want to talk about three things that are an important component of exercising or experiencing freedom. That's discipline, accountability, and responsibility. Um, I just realized we didn't read our scripture for this morning. So whoever you guys are, they're there if you can bring up the scripture. Uh, looking in Galatians uh, chapter 6. And before we do that, I'd like to just ask God's presence and his blessing for this time. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, this morning I ask for your Holy Spirit to be here speaking to our hearts. I ask for your forgiveness, Lord, for the ways that I have failed. I thank you for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. And even as uh, in the midst of that freedom, Lord, that uh, we can sin, we can fall away, stray away. But we, because of what you have done, are free to come to you, seek forgiveness, Find forgiveness and wholeness and restoration with you. We thank you. Speak to us this morning, Lord, for your honor and your glory. Amen. So Galatians 6, I'm going to read a, just a, a, a few verses. And I sent it in to Mike yesterday, and I forgot which verses they are, so I'm just going to have to turn around. I mean, I know which verses they are, but I, instead of reading the whole chapter of Galatians 6, I picked out a few verses. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Galatians 6, I meant Galatians 5. All right, starting out verse 1. Paul says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And then going down to verse... Um, Uh, 
I wish you had the verses up there. I don't know which verses. We'll just read it. Going on down, I think four or five. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, you are free. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Boy, that kind of hits everything pretty much, doesn't it? Of which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Freedom. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And then in chapter, well this is the end of 5 and going into 6. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. But bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but each one must examine his own work, and then he, he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them, but do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Today's Father's Day. And uh, usually, last time, which was the first time that uh, I I shared a message, I tend to see things that go on around me, and and the Lord uses those to, to speak to my heart and to reveal a little bit of the truth of his word and who he is and about myself and how I need to be and how I need to respond. And I probably will start tearing up here, so I'll just get ready for it. I got my handkerchief right. Where is it? I need my handkerchief out just in case. This morning I got a Father's Day card from my wife. Uh, and uh, 
you know, you, you get cards and you read them and say, oh, this is really good. This is really nice. And this says some great things. But the thing that really got me, you know, and, and the card had some really good things to say about me, but it was pre-printed probably three months ago in some factory someplace. <laughs> How did they know? I don't know. But at the end, my wife signs it, and she says, I mean every word. I mean every word. When we think of our Heavenly Father, how do we think to Him? How do we respond to Him? Do we say the prayers? Do we sing the songs? Do we, you know, do the things that we think we should be doing? Or are we expressing something that we can say, I mean every word of it. I mean every word of it. Growing up, my father was a pastor and down in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, in a lot of ways, he wasn't, we weren't charismatic, we were Southern Baptists, which is like completely different. But he was a charismatic type of person. People loved him and he drew people to himself. And he uh, was a director of a citywide crusade. And that Saturday morning, you know, you remember, I don't know why you remember these things, but they had a children's service. Rudy Hernandez was the uh, pastor that led that. And that morning I came forward. And I honestly and firmly believe that that morning in childlike faith, I placed my faith in Christ and I was saved. But that morning there were hundreds of kids that came forward and so the counselors and, and the pastors there said, you know, your dad's a pastor. He's the head of the, you know, he's leading up the citywide crusade and stuff. You know, we've got too many other kids to talk to. You know, he'll, he'll talk to you and he'll help you understand what's going on and lead you and, and disciple you and, and that kind of stuff. But my father never really did. You know, like a lot of pastors, he was just super busy with things and never took the time. And I think that led me to believe that that's what God was like. That he was just kind of like this uh, grandfather, old, you know, uh, soft-spoken grandfather out there that just wanted to give me some good things and, and I could ask him for some stuff and he might give me some things. But in reality, he didn't really want to be bothered with me. And that's kind of the way I thought about God. Uh, and maybe even thinking that you know, God was just somebody out there that kind of got things started and then he walks away and says, okay, you're on your own. And... I think that's kind of the way I thought about God. And I think a lot of us think about God that way too. You know, God's either somebody that kind of uh, 
you know, we can ask him for things and he'll give us stuff, but he doesn't really seem to be to care or he just kind of started things and he's left us on our own and, and uh, you know, maybe even we think of God as this super creative God that created all of this and created us and started things out, but, you know, now that he's got things going, he doesn't really care uh, about us and he just leaves us alone and lets things proceed. And so I really wasn't discipled or mentored. Uh, I had a desire to learn God's word and, and uh, to know as much as I could, but I never really had someone that was mentoring and discipling me. And it was, you know, I, I did okay. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if any of you grew up Southern Baptist, but, you know, you, they had the boys' clubs uh, they call them the RAs, the Royal Ambassadors, and we had sword drills and all this stuff. And, you know, I learned a lot of things in Sunday school. And thought I was doing okay. But then in junior high school, uh, my dad got involved with somebody else, and he left me and my brothers and my mom and deserted us and left us all alone. And it was like having the rug pulled out from underneath you. It was like, you know, he didn't care about us, he just cared about himself. And I think that colored for a while the way I saw God. That God really didn't care. And so... I got to the point where, as a teenager, I thought, you know what? And, you know, kids do this all the time. You know, if I had only been different, maybe my dad would have stayed. You know, maybe I didn't obey enough, or maybe I didn't do enough. And so then I began to go through Scripture, and I think during that three, four, five years, I probably read through the Bible 15, 20 times. And I was making lists of rules. What is it that God wants me to do? You know, if I can figure out what he wants me to do, then he'll accept me. And then he'll give me the things that I want and and we'll be okay. But, you know, that was a struggle because I, you know, the list got very long. Uh, it got really long. And I just like, how can I please God? You know, But that was the wrong way to think about who God was. You know, that, that model of, of if, if I can figure out how to please him, then I can expect him to please me. And in fact, Paul talks about this a little bit in Galatians and in in Colossians, I think in Romans, uh, maybe in Corinthians and too, he talks about the elemental things of the world. And that phrase or that word actually means the ABCs. The ABCs of the world. And there's this idea that if I can do A, then God will do B, and then I can get C. You know, the, the, you know, if I can figure out these three things, if I do one, two, and three, 
then I can get what I want, you know, uh, which is the old idea of, of appeasing and pleasing God. You know, you're going to go on a, a trip on, on the water, then you go to uh, whoever the God is of the water and you offer a sacrifice and, you know, you hope that he's pleased with that so he'll protect you when you go out. And that's kind of where I was for a while. I don't know if any of you have heard of uh, Nip Ricken. Actually, it's a pseudonym, I believe, not his real name. And he wrote two books talking about the insanity of God. First one was about his, his own trials and struggles as he began to discover what it really meant to have faith and to live uh, in God's kingdom. His second book, talking about walking with Jesus in tough times, he tells the story of churches that he has visited around the world. They're in third world countries that are suffering tremendous persecution. They're in hiding because if you know the, the in house churches, because if they have public churches, then they'll get torn down. They'll get burned, they'll get arrested. And what he discovered was that in the midst of that persecution, no matter what the troubles were that were going on, these people had a a true feeling of freedom to be able to live for Christ in the midst of all of that. And that book both of those books were life-changing to me in, in many ways because, you know, Jesus said, you too will have trouble. There will be trouble. There will be bad days. Things will happen that you don't like. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, all who live godly will suffer persecution. But Paul also said, I have learned to be content in whatever situation or circumstance I'm in. Why? Because the true contentment, the true freedom, the true satisfaction that we have in Christians is not in our circumstances and all the things that are going on. And in this Western world, we tend to think of, well, if things aren't going well, then you know, God's not treating us right. But that true contentment, that true freedom, is knowing that God is there with us in the midst of that, despite all of those things that are going around. And that we don't have to, and this is hard for us sometimes, we really don't have to be anxious and worry about it. Because what's important is not what's happening to us. What's important is about who God is and who we are in our relationship with Him. Because in the light of eternity, in that panorama of all that will be happening for millions and millions of years, this time here will be forgotten. And what will be remembered is God's faithfulness and His grace and His mercy. And you know what? There is nothing we can do for God. There is nothing we can do for God. God needs nothing from us. But in His grace and His mercy, He has sent His Son to die and to to give release to the captive. We are being held captive by our flesh, by our sin. 
And he has come to do that to, to give us freedom. I have gotten completely away from my notes. <laughs> he has come that to, to give us freedom and to be able to know him because if you read through the Bible, you see, what is it that God wants? Not needs. What is it that God wants from us? Praise and thanksgiving. Right? Can, can any of you tell me any other verse that says God needs this from us? Everything we have, everything we need. I mean, we sing a song, you know, you give us the breath to breathe and to sing. Praises to you. Everything that we could ever need comes from Him. And so when we were in eternity and we began to look back and our eyes are open more fully, you know, like Paul says, now we see in a mirror darkly, but then we will see Him face to face and, and be able to understand more about who He is and what He's done for us. The more we will realize that we were held captive by sin, by our flesh, but he has given us everything and we have freedom in him that we could never have if we stayed in our sin and our flesh. Never, never have. And you know, uh, while we're in this body, while we're in this world, we will struggle against flesh. Paul, in fact, in Romans 7, talked about that struggle. He says, you know, this the living in this body of flesh, it's a terrible, wretched body. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I want, don't want to do, I do. There's that struggle. But he says, thanks be to God who has given me the victory through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now therefore, because even though I sin and I do things that I don't want to do and I say yes to the things I should be saying no to and I'm not saying, uh, and I'm saying no to the things I should be saying yes to and I fail and I struggle, yet, as John said, talking to Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, I have victory. Not in this body, in this flesh. Yeah, I struggle. But I have victory. And so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's true freedom. I mean, not to... Yeah, you know, I, I struggle. I, I say yes to things I shouldn't. And, and like Paul, I said this already, I think, I don't know. Like Paul, at the end of his life, he says, you know, I, I'm the chief of sinners. I realize, you know, and, and like uh, Job, like King David, the only person we sin against is God. My sin, my sin is against you and you only, God, David said. Yet, we are not held captive to that. We are not going to be punished for that because 
in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from that. And so now there is no condemnation. I mean, what kind of, isn't, I mean, the, the older I get, it, the more I realize how wonderful that grace and that mercy is that, yeah, I feel guilty and, and, and I know I've done wrong and I've got to come and repent and confess, yet I have the freedom to do that and find forgiveness. I had the freedom to come and find his grace. I had the freedom to come because of what Christ has done, to come boldly before the throne and bring my needs and my petitions to him and raise my thanksgiving and my praise to him. I have that freedom. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. Not everyone understands this, and maybe you might even disagree with me. But when God created each human being, he made us as a living soul to live for eternity. The question is, are you going to live eternity with God in heaven? And, and because you have accepted his payment for your sin against him that you can now reside with him and you've been freed from that penalty or are you going to live eternity separated from God realizing in that eternity and separation from God that hell that God really did give us everything we need and now you have nothing Now you have nothing, and you have realized finally that the only thing, the only person we can go to, the only place we can find everything we need is in God. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to get him to give it to us. But because he loves us, and he extends his grace to us and given us freedom from that sin and the penalty of that sin and, and the power of that sin over us. We can now experience freedom and in eternity be able to praise him and give thanks to him and realize how much he really had given us and done for us in this life. So let's see if I can get back on track here. Uh, so uh, the freedom we have in Christ is not something we can earn or really understand completely but the disciplines that we've talked about in the last few months these are things that can help us to begin to learn about who God is a little bit better, to allow him to speak to us, for us to draw our hearts close to him and be able to understand all that he is doing and has done and continues to do for us. But then, that also means, since we have freedom in Christ and, and we are exercising those disciplines, we also have a responsibility. Paul, in chapter 6, says, that we were called to freedom so that we can respond 
with service, with love, gratitude, and adoration, to love one another, to serve one another. He says, and we read this, we are to walk by the Spirit, and when we do, we'll experience the fruits of the Spirit. When we learn how to say no to sin and the fleshly desires and yes to God. And when we say yes, we experience freedom from that guilt and that power of sin over us. And the more we say no, the easier it gets to say no. It doesn't get easy. It gets easier because we begin to experience the power and the freedom that we have in Christ. It's like preparing for war as a soldier. You know, they, they exercise, they practice, they run drills, and all this stuff so that when the enemy attacks, they're ready. The disciplines help us to prepare so that when the enemy attacks, we're ready. So that uh, we take responsibility for our own selves. Paul talks about, you know, you're to bear your own load. You're responsible for your own self to respond. Not because God requires it, because there's nothing we can do, but in response to what he has done for us. And then lastly, we have that sense of accountability. He talks about to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. God has set us free to live in community, to support one another, to serve one another, to love one another. And through that, to be able to draw other people to Christ. And what does it say in the book of Acts? It says... The people around saw the love that the people in the church had for one another, one another, and they were drawn to that. They were drawn to that. And then the ultimate freedom is really when we begin to, as we grow in learning who God is, who we are, how great God is, how awful and terrible we are, Yet in his mercy and grace, he has set us free, he has given us freedom to be able to walk and live by his spirit. We can't do that if we have sin, because sin separates us from God. But God has said, I have taken care of the sin, so now you can walk with me and you can live by my power. That's who we originally created in, in, in the garden. God came and walked with them every day and talked with them every day and when they sinned that ended that stopped that was disrupted and sin came into the world so this ultimate freedom is experiencing God his fruits as he lives in us I had a friend you don't have a time up there I have no idea what time it is Okay, I gotta hurry up here. I had a You know what, lunch isn't until twelve. You got another hour. Uh, I had a, a friend who was a, a elder at a church in River Force in in uh, Wisconsin in Illinois. Sam Brooks. This guy loved the Lord. And 
he felt free to share Christ with anybody and everybody. He owned a printing company. But you know what? Every time someone came into his office, he would talk to them about their spiritual life. He said, you know, where are you in your walk with God? You know, how are things going in your spiritual life? You know, he didn't come up and say, hey, you need Jesus. You need to accept him now. Get down on your knees and pray. No. He cared about him, and he asked about you know, how they were doing in their spiritual life, and it gave him opportunity to be able to share and to uh, bring God's truth. And he felt free to be able to do that and focus on that. Well, I was only on page five, and I've got eight pages here. <laughs> All right. But you know, ultimately, what we believe about God shapes how we view God and how we experience God. Do we see God as that soft-spoken, fatherly grandfather out there that just kind of doles out things to us and we ask and maybe otherwise doesn't care? Or is he just a God out there that started everything and now he's not involved at all? Or maybe he's the God that if I scratch his back, he'll scratch my back. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God that has decided to love us. And when we failed to redeem us and restore that relationship through his son and the death on the cross, so that we might experience that true freedom from sin, the power and the and penalty of sin, and, and eventually the presence of sin, completely free, all because of God's grace and his mercy. So Paul ends the letter, and this is the last part that we read. God is not mocked. God cannot be manipulated. God is going to say, you're going to sow what you reap. If you reap according to your own desires and your own flesh, you're going to reap that and you're going to be eternally separated from me. But if you allow me through my Holy Spirit to walk with you and you live in the Spirit and you walk with me in the Spirit then you will reap the benefits and the fruits of that, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. The one verse that, before I give these or talk about these, the one verse that has uh, just spoken to me about how great and wonderful and amazing God is, is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. A benediction and a blessing. Paul says, Now unto him, God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask for or even think of. beyond all that we could even ask for or even think of to the glory of the church and Jesus Christ 
throughout all generations forever and ever. That's amazing. Isn't it? That's amazing. All right. I'm out of time. There's one there. And one there. Not that you have to be the first one up. This is Nip Rickon's book, The Insanity of God, The True Story. And this is his story about how he visited Christian churches and Christian families and groups all over the world and discovered the faithfulness of God and God's goodness. And it changed his life and it made a great impact on my life. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, your love, that despite our own sinfulness and our complete inability, you have freed us, set us free to be able to live and to walk by your power and your Holy Spirit. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.